remember how this. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we're boarding passengers seated in zones E and F at this time. Led to this. And that took us to this. And how that all seems like a dream right now. Well, at least we are all in the same boat. All of us. One world, same boat. But there's nothing to stop us traveling in our imagination. So for the next hour, fly with me, Diana Moxon, around the world and maybe feel a little less isolated as we meet people hunkered down in their own towns and cities. We're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. And here are some audio postcards to make us all feel a little closer together in this time of separation. Even though I spent most of my young life desperate to live anywhere other than the United Kingdom, as time has passed and nostalgia visits me more and more, my absolute favorite place to feel the wheels touch down is England. America is my home now, but England is where I keep my slippers. So I thought our first stop on today's world tour should be London, where I want you to meet my friend Audrey. She's an incredible journalist, writes lusciously about food and travel, won the Foreign Correspondent of the Year Award for her time as an embedded journalist during the Iraq War, and last year won an award for an incredibly moving six-part radio documentary about a homeless couple in London called Tara and George. It sounds like we're landing, so here's today's first postcard from my wee Glaswegian pal, Audrey Gillen. Like you, I've got a podcast to make, and that's keeping me busy. But um, I mean, all my other work is gone. So being, you know, being a travel journalist, there's no business, and I suspect that it will be a very difficult business to rekindle. It will take quite a long time for people to want to travel far and wide again and feel confident of going around the world again, and they might not even want to anymore. I mean, I was very sick in January. I had a virus. It was very debilitating. One of those kind of, sounds very like COVID-19, except it was too early. One of those ones where you can't really function, can't get out of your bed. People say all this stuff to you like, oh, well, it's great. You can just watch Netflix. And you can't because you're too sick. And um, you eat yourself out of house and home. And then I went to Scotland for a month. So I had nothing in. And so then I had to stock up. And then I went to Portugal for a 50th birthday party. and. Um, the morning after the 50th birthday party, I was thinking, oh, I just don't know if this was such a good idea. And um, I was supposed to be working as well, and it just started to look like it was a better idea to come back. So I came back. But during that, the first few days of being back that week, not that I met anybody that had any symptoms, but I, I did feel that I had been quite reckless. Went out, got quite a lot in. I had already been slowly building up and as you know I, I cook and so I therefore already have quite a lot of nice things just a good a very good store cupboard anyway but I got enough and uh, that was two weeks ago and I uh, haven't been out since there's not any flour around or yeast but I do have some flowers and also yeast I used to make sourdough but I don't anymore so I will make bread but I haven't yet I uh I did make lemonade though like a sort of almost cordial where I've got bottles of it now in a dark cupboard and it'll last for months 
So I'm really pleased with that. And I've uh, ro roasted tomatoes and put them in oil, roasted peppers and put them in oil, pickled beans, pickled some vegetables and stuff like that as well. So yeah, I'm sort of preparing as if it's a nuclear war. <laughs> I miss nature. And also, do you know what? I'm not really hearing birdsong here. I think the birds have sort of slightly disappeared from the city. I can see a pigeon right now. I've seen some magpies, but the little, lovely, little singing blue tits and yellow tits that go around, can't see them at all. And I'm looking out the window onto uh, Christchurch Spitalfields, which is a really beautiful old church, and the sun's setting just behind it, but there's not a single solitary soul. And um, when when it gets dark, you, you don't see as many lights anymore. There's a couple of high-rises over there, and they're not lit up anymore. I miss human contact touching people cuddles just like I don't mean cuddles but like hugs when you see your friends going for a big long walk you see where I live in London it's very central it's very urban therefore I'm not really near nature I, in order to get to a really nice park it's like a half hour walk but they've closed the park because the weekend before last was warm and sunny and people just went and sat down and sunbathed one of the things last week that really made me cry is that eight o'clock, everybody goes outside and clap in appreciation of our National Health Service, but all the key workers. So that would be our postal service, our dustmen, our grocery people, all the people that are going to work in the midst of all of this, putting themselves at risk. And so we just go outside and clap. I honestly do not know why it's taken me this long, given that I was embedded in the war in Iraq and I am a travel journalist. And I don't always stay in the poshest of places with the, you know, gold toilets. The travel bidet is, well, it can be the most simple thing of just a plastic bottle with a nozzle on it that is angled such that you fill it. And now if you get one, fill it with warm water. I've tried it with cold. It's not very nice. And you... um do your business and then you put it into the back of the toilet and give it a right good scoosh and um and then all you need is two pieces of toilet paper it's amazing honestly i've hardly used any toilet paper all week it's brilliant i'm from glasgow and my family are in glasgow and i am down here in london on my own and this song is about glasgow it was written by Billy Connolly, but this particular version is not sung by him because I like this version more. And it's called I Wish I Was in Glasgow. And it's about somebody who was born in Glasgow but leaves the city. And it's a lament for the olden days in Glasgow and the people. And I listen to it and it makes me cry every single time. I wish I was in Glasgow with some good old friends of mine Some good old rough companions Some good old smooth red wine We would talk about the old days And the old town's sad decline And drink the boys on the road That good old place I miss so much now sees some better days Yet still we talk about it As we go our separate ways
always Glasgow gave me more than it ever took away And prepared me for life on the road I was born in Glasgow In the east end of the town I would take you there and show you But they pulled the old place down When I think about it It always makes me frown They bulldozed it all To make a road That good old place I miss so much Now sees some better days Still we talk about it as we go our separate ways Glasgow gave me more than it ever took away And prepared me for life How the old song ran Ask anyone who's been there You will understand You can take the man from Glasgow But not the Glasgow from the man It prepares you for life on the road And that was Ian McIntosh singing I Wish I Was in Glasgow from his 1991 album Risk and Roses. From London, it's just a short hop across the North Sea to the country that I have loved ever since I first heard this back in 1974. Because of ABBA, I have a degree in Swedish and back in 1985, I got to live there for a year. I would have been there still, but that was back when Brits needed a visa to stay in Sweden, so I had to go home. But it was during my time at school in Linköping that I met Katarina. Even at 19, she spoke perfect English, but she was always really good about making me speak Swedish. Oh, hang on, I hear the captain. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. This is the captain speaking. Uh, just about ready to depart. We should be away on schedule in the next couple of minutes or so. Well, anyway... She's lived in Stockholm for the past 30 years, has three sons, and it's been way too long since we talked with each other. So, here is my friend of 30 plus years, Katarina Zetterberg, with her postcard from the Swedish capital of Stockholm. It has created a solidarity in the community and actually more like loving, caring than actually opponents or people being angry if you're actually outside. It's quite nice to be in this society because we have slowed down and we care much more about each other. And and I think it's a bit like good leadership because bad leadership, then you tell everybody what to do. Good leadership, you depend on the people, you trust them, 
And also it's a way of actually reducing the fear and all the worries and anguish that people have. It's up to you how we manage with this. You have two choices. You can do good things or you can do bad things. What do you want? The people in Sweden, the Swedes in general, have a faith in this. But let's see, now they say that Germany has good results from all the restrictions. So, But we have a different country as well. We also have a manner of, I mean, it's like, I think somebody in Finland said, like, we've been practicing for this our entire life, like not stand to close, <laughs> not kiss, not hug. And it's a picture on Facebook people waiting for the bus like before and after corona it's the same picture like three meters apart (laughs) people don't meet we say we take a walk we go for a walk so you can tell that all the parks and uh, the the forest are filled with people and you know with filled is in swedish terms like you see people (laughs) even strangers and even in sweden actually see each other We meet and we stop and we sort of get connected in a way. We usually, we just rush by and especially Stockholm because we don't have time for anything. And, and it's been a kind of consideration and connection because people have actually slowed down. And as I said, like families do things together more, but I don't think that will last. None of my friends or family are quite worried. It's not so much worry. It's more, it, it turned to uh, economical worry. So more than your health, you worry about your economy and how society will look and the world, the world economy as well. That's a, the largest worry, I'd say. For my oldest, he's at the university in Luleå, is way up north. So they did not have. Like some weeks ago, they only had, I mean, one case, one affected. So they had all the gyms open because it's so desert. It's even more deserted there. So the Stockholm situation and the Gothenburg and Malmö situation is not the same. as. So he was sort of, yeah, he didn't worry. But then they closed the universities as well. So then everybody flew back to the hometown <laughs> and met all their friends. So I think they are a bit more concerned now, but not like a great worry. But it's a change from living in Stockholm and living in Luleå. My youngest, he is like, no, we shouldn't go to a restaurant. No, I shouldn't go to the gym. They reopened again, but like to touch weights and stuff. No, he doesn't do that. So he's more careful. They have recommended for several weeks, don't visit people over 70. And the people over 70 stay inside. Do not go out. Oh, I can't visit my mother. She's 87 and she doesn't hear so well, so I can't call her. And so it's like I write postcards to her. I write to her twice per week. So I buy something nice and then I send it and write something about the family and the boys and stuff. So I worry about her. I do. I need to touch her and she needs to touch me. For her closing piece of music, Katerina chose a song called Tend Eldpour which means light a fire, by Stockholm singer-songwriter Marcus Lindgren, who also happens to be the son of one of her good friends. Mm-hmm. 
about digital travel is you don't have to travel in just one direction. We can zigzag all over the place. So let's just head off to Australia next and check in with Corey Zerner. It took Corey and I a while to work out where and when we first met, but eventually we realized it was in Perth in Western Australia, circa 1996, where I got to attend his Get Frocked drag fashion show with my best pal, Guy Morgan. How could I forget? Oh, time to get into my boarding group. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we're boarding passengers seated in zones E and F at this time. Here we go. And here's Corey with his postcard from New South Wales. I've worked for Sydney Festival for the last six years, and we closed our office last week before there was a, any kind of mandatory thing. And I actually started working from home the week before because my office is in Circular Quay near the Opera House and I live down the coast near Wollongong. And so it's a two-hour commute each way for me every day. So I jumped in early when they started saying we should start looking at how people can work from home and I said, I'll do it. So I've got four hours of my day back. Our festival happened kind of at the tail end of the bushfires. So we struggled to sell a happy message because... You know, we were in month five of bushfires and it was a really horrible mood. So 
I don't want to say we suffered, but it was hard to it was hard to sell tickets, but it was also hard to sell a an event that people could go to for fun when they were just absolutely wrung out from the horror. One of the really big bushfires was about 40 kilometres directly west, but it, it was stopped at the main highway that goes between Sydney, Canberra and Melbourne. And if it had have jumped that highway, then it would have gotten into a water catchment and nothing to stop it between there and us. But the just watching your whole country burn and feeling like the government just could not give a damn. Not not give a damn, but they had so many warnings and so much advice on how to prepare for this and they just refused. It was it was just gut-wrenching. It's a different thing to the bushfires. The bushfires felt a lot more personal and just a lot more preventable. We're about six minute walk from the beach and we've got a like a park slash creek running past our backyard. So there's lots of wildlife. It's very quiet. And I've got a big yard with chickens and trees. And, uh, you know, I can walk down the beach for my exercise because you're not allowed to go down there just to hang out. People can still go to work if it's considered necessary. So my partner, James, works at the Wollongong Botanic Garden and he's considered essential. You can go out to get food, to go to a medical specialist. You can go to a vet. You can, like, you can go to your cafe and get a takeaway coffee, provided all the social distancing rules are adhered to, and you're not with more than one other person. And you can go and do exercise. So we can go down to the beach, provided we're going to go for a swim. But on Tuesday morning for James's birthday, he wanted to have his his English cup of tea, morning cup of tea, on the beach and watch sunrise. And I was, we were sitting on a little picnic blanket as the sun came up and I kept looking around thinking, we're not doing the right thing. We're both safe in full-time employment for now. So while we're earning, and especially me in the arts, I'm sure the arts over there is just as devastated, to have a full-time full wage, I kind of owe it to some other people to help support them. All of the groovy little bars and cafes around here adapted very quickly to doing takeaway stuff or, you know, they changed what they were offering. So what I was spending, because I would get a coffee when I got off the train every morning in Sydney, so I'll spend that and also the $50 I'm not spending a week on trains, I kind of figure I'm going to spend that at that cafe because I don't want them to close. I want them to still be around when this all finishes. I worry about what's coming, like, you know, the Great Depression Mark II I worry about that. I, I really worry about what happens if James's family gets sick and he can't get there. That probably worries me the most because he would not cope with that. There's still a big sense of I, I don't think it's really hit people unless you've lost your job and there's been a massive, I think they say about 200,000 job losses so far and they're expecting about 2 million. There's a radio station in Sydney called FBI and it's like a community radio station and they their remit is they have to play 50% Australian music and half of that has to come from Sydney. And do you, did you ever know of a band called Wawani and their lead singer Paul Gray? After Wawani split up, he didn't do anything for 20 years. This was the first song he recorded with this coastal elite are like a bunch of Sydney producers and he sang this with them and then he died. So. 
As we're in the Southern Hemisphere, let's stay Antipodean and hop over the Tasman Sea to visit my friend Glenn in Auckland, which is only a three-hour flight from Sydney, so we'll be touching down before we know it. Last time I saw Glenn was, I believe, at a friend's wedding in Bali in 2001. I recall it was a pretty wild party. Glenn is a registered Bateco practitioner and helps people all over the world who have breathing disorders. Here then is Glenn's postcard from Auckland. It's a bit of a mess right now, but he's got these rather big trees. And there's the house back there. Good opportunity for me to stay here and get things sorted out. My garden, I'm just starting to plant all my plants because we might be in lockdown for quite a while. So New Zealand went in lockdown about a week ago and, you know, everything's just shut down. You probably just heard a bus go by, but there's nobody on the buses. There's nobody on the trains. There's only eight domestic flights now per day. There's no international flights virtually, so the skies are clear. There's a silver lining to this. There really is a chance to just to stop and take stock to breathe. I've been working the last probably 20 years, I've just been hell flat out. And this is a chance to get off the hamster wheel and just take stock. It's very good for me. I run a breathing clinic and as you may or may not know, I was a bit of a closet asthmatic. I didn't like people to know I had asthma. And so back when I knew you in those Jakarta days, I would always be carrying a Ventolin inhaler and I had steroid medications that I would take daily. And I was constantly on antibiotics and constantly having respiratory infections. And that all changed in 2000 when I got really sick in London and discovered this breathing technique. And literally within a week, I was off my medication. And it was like that epiphany moment. And I just thought, man, now it's time to change direction. And so I trained in London, came back to New Zealand. I've run a breathing clinic helping people with things like asthma, respiratory infections, sleep apnea, snoring, anxiety, panic attacks. I'm involved right now with Asthma New Zealand. And look, a lot of people here, a lot of the organizations are still a little bit, it's like possum in the headlights. They're thinking, gee, what do we do? You know, it, we're going to be in lockdown for more than a month. We're pretty sure of that. Although this has kind of driven us into isolation, it's actually brought us together. New Zealand's really good for these kind of things. Like, you know, Jacinda has just been, this is her third crisis. We had the mosque shootings. And that boy, that was brought everyone together. New Zealand really came together for that. And she was incredible. I mean, she's flawless. And then we had that oh, volcanic eruption that you may or might not have heard about. And now this. And so what you see is, you know, there's, you just see acts of kindness on the street. You see, you know, people contacting elderly people in their neighborhoods, making sure they got food, running errands for them and stuff. So, yeah, it's a good, it's a good mood, what I see so far. Well, look, I'm concerned about for our vulnerable people like I would have been. And I, do, I am a little bit concerned about the erosion of personal liberties that's, that, that could potentially come out of this. Because what quite often happens is once liberties and freedom is taken away, it often isn't returned. I mean, we're lucky we've got a benevolent leader, but even then the government's been given incredible powers right now. It can be more subtle in countries like New Zealand and the US, you know, but uh, we see erosion of journalistic independence all around the world. In those countries with the greatest iniquity, I think we're going to see the greatest problems. And I don't exclude New Zealand from that. You know, New Zealand was an early adopter of the neoliberal model, you know, the back in the 80s. And we have a huge inequity in this country that we need to address. 
but I do think we have a a desire collectively to address it. We do have a, a public health system that's there for all. And that gives us a huge advantage because it was very easy to bring in a coordinated approach to COVID-19 when you have a well-funded public health system. I miss, you know, being able to get together with friends, you know, for dinner and drinks and stuff like that, being having a group of people around and just that face-to-face stuff. You know, we're doing it online and I've got one person in my isolation bubble, but I miss the group get-togethers a lot. I'm a bit of a people person. Benny is like probably New Zealand's hottest ticket right now. She's charting all around the world in Norway, Denmark, um, Sweden, Ireland, the UK, the US. She's she's really gorgeous. I've known her, you know, since she was the little bump in a mummy's tummy, and because <laughs> everyone in, and everyone in New Zealand knows everyone, right? You must know that. But anyway, just like everyone else, all brought down to the same level. She's back home with mum and dad in lockdown in Greylin, about a kilometre for me right now. But the sto- the song Glitter, it all comes from a night she had out at one of our crazy, crazy gay bars called Family. And she went out one night with some friends and there was this young man spreading glitter around. And um, he spread some glitter on her and then the, together the two of them went around spreading glitter all around. <laughs> the party and that's the basis for that song everyone else has left now i bet that this got you stressed out wondering what can we do now baby let it burn out where i can't feel my face Stay here with me Let's just make it all home party Stick together 
we should go to Shanghai, China next. I have an old friend in Shanghai. Richard is Singaporean, which is where I met him 20 years ago when he was dating my best friend. Since we last met, he's got married to an Englishman, spent two years living in New York, set up his own real estate business in Singapore, and for the last four years has lived with his husband in Shanghai. Richard's postcard from Shanghai is maybe a beacon of hope for the rest of us who are in the midst of virus rampage. It looks like we're about to board, so I'm, I'm going to get in my boarding group and let's head off to Shanghai. I can't believe the last time I was here was 1994. You know, three weeks ago, I was still quite pessimistic about when and how we're going to get back to the, our old lives again. And now, you know, just stepping out, it's, it's like nothing had happened apart from people wearing masks and people not getting close to each other and stuff. But, you know, we still get traffic. We still get people on the street. You know, people still going to work every morning. There are more cars on the roads now. I think we're, we're probably the safest place to be. It wasn't a street lockdown as in Wuhan, where, you know, people are not allowed to leave their home and you have to order groceries online or have someone deliver the food to you. Here is more manageable. You can actually leave if you want and buy groceries, but you're not encouraged to be out and about, you know, with friends and stuff, you know, in close proximity. It wasn't like in Wuhan where you get thousands and thousands every day. In Shanghai, there was no panic uh, in terms of testings. Um, those people that fell sick and got tested positive, they had enough hospital beds to accommodate them. So there was no no big panic here, or at least this, I, I didn't hear anything um, to the contrary um, from the news. There, there was a day where the supermarkets were flooded with people because people were not sure. They were quite confused. Like That was before this whole social distancing thing came out. Everyone just panicked and went out to buy supplies and stuff. Some of the shelves were empty, but we didn't get to a point where you, know, you have to queue you know, over an hour to get into a supermarket. Yeah, th there was there was a, a couple of days of panic, but after that, you know, just people just kind of got on with it. You know, it was surreal because a week before that, everyone's out shopping, getting ready for Chinese New Year. Everyone's happy and and what have you. And then and then just days after, the whole the streets everywhere is just deserted. I mean. I, I guess because the, the, the Chinese government has actually implemented the lockdown fairly quickly and the fact that people here listen, they follow the rules, I didn't feel scared or anything. It was, it was just, I, I just felt isolated because I, I, I couldn't leave the, the building except buying groceries. I walked the dogs you know, around the compound and I, I just don't see anyone for weeks on end. I wasn't afraid. I, w I didn't think that it's going to be the end of the world. I know we keep hearing all these, you know, escalation of cases, people dying in 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 Wuhan and and stuff. And I thought because the Shanghai local government has actually locked down the whole city, you know, stopping people from Wuhan or other other provinces that are infected coming into to Shanghai, I felt quite. I guess the word is comforting. The local government, I think they opened up the cinema last week or a week, a week and a half ago. 
and within two days they close it down again. But it, it will improve. I think. I think more and more, you know. I think they are lining up the uh, the acts now, but the the government is still very cautious. They don't want to have too many people, you know, congregated in one in one location. It will take some time before we're back to where we were before the crisis, for sure. I think it's also the not right now. It's just the trust. There's a trust issue of everything and anything, you know. You're worried that you're going to touch something. You're worried you're going to speak to someone that may be carrying the virus, but it is asymptomatic. And it's, it just makes life, you know, very on edge. You're just worried about everything. You're worried about your health. You're worried about your, your family's health, your friends. It's a very, very different life we live right now. And I'm just... The speed of how things change just you know takes your breath away. It, it make me it make me cherish things more. I think <laughs> after this crisis, I do hope that humanity will kind of wise up and you know just treat people with kindness. Optimistic. We need optimism right now. Richard didn't have a particular piece of music that he wanted to play, so I choose a piece from the We Are Shanghai 2019 album. This is Jojo with a song called I Want to Know. Rose 30 to 40. Rose 30. 
next stop on today's journey is Bangkok, Thailand, where we'll be hearing from my birthday twin and former boss, Christopher Stafford. It's almost 20 years since Chris and I worked together to launch the Anantara hotel brand. I left Thailand in 2005, and Chris continued to work in the Thai hotel industry, most recently working for 137 Pillars Hotels and Resorts. I last saw Chris five years ago when we got to celebrate our birthdays ending with a zero together with a group of friends on the south coast of Sri Lanka. So, as we're about to touch down in Bangkok, please make sure your bags are stowed. Here is Chris's postcard from the Thai capital. Bangkok is great. I mean, it's locked down. We've got the cleanest air we've ever had. We've got empty streets. It takes you five minutes to get across the city. The fear factor is pretty high. I mean, everyone's wearing a combination of plastic screens, rubber gloves and masks, etc. Bangkok is quiet still. Nothing much going on. I mean, they've just gone into a curfew for eight, eight hours a day. So no, you don't see any street food vendors, no restaurants are open, except in certain areas. You, you will see street food in some parts of town, which is a necessity, obviously, of Bangkok life. The fabric would just fall apart if it wasn't there. Food, you know, this is an agricultural country. There's plenty of food. There's no panic on food because that's all people think about here. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, three times a day, then another three times a day for extra meals. This country that's completely food nuts so we're <laughs> food is everything i don't quite know how it's going to pan out yet but if i look at it and i say well it's not going to be the same people are going to travel potentially going to be wanting to be more in family groups it's, i don't think it's going to be this sort of free-for-all go wherever you like type of thing i'm not sure but a component of wellness and a component of but not just wellness but just living more natural approach i think it's going to change it's, it's definitely going to change I mean, the traditional skyscraper hotel in Bangkok, because it's an enclosed space and your people are going to be thinking about that. I'm going to think, well, do I want to be in an air-conditioned tower? Not really. You know, I worry about instability in terms of the people because it's very fragile. You know, when you take away the rice bowl and there's no government input, you know, then you have a, a pretty potent mix i think i mean it's so far the government's been pretty good they've actually put in place funding for people that are out of work and so forth but when that runs out um which could only be a couple of months time in this country and then i worry i worry about the the unrest i don't know if the isolation what that's going to do to people because normally a very uh, social people being totally isolated for a long time we, we haven't seen the effects of that yet it's hot as hell. It's 40 degrees out there, which keeps the virus fairly lazy until you get into air-conditioned spaces. And, I mean, I've been told by the leading doctor here in Thailand that it's going to struggle in, in this season. So we might not see exponential growth in, in numbers, but we might see it when the season changes. Only in the four weeks that this has happened in Bangkok, the amount of natural things I've seen happen, amazing. You know, we look at the air, you look at the even the temperature is slightly lower than a normal hot year because there's not this envelope of gas everywhere, right? Which was very damaging in the latter part of last year. Big problem now is that a lot of the elephants are starving from all these camps because they've run out of tourists, right? So all tourist camps around Chiang Mai and 
So the elephants are without food. So that's a scary situation. So you're talking about probably in the region of 600 elephants around Chiang Mai in those camps. Because the minute that the Chinese stopped coming and then everybody else stopped coming, there's no money, you know. So the responsibility level of the owners was just to fight for the bunch of elephants with no food. That's what's happened in, in around Chiang Mai in the last few weeks. I believe there are some moves at the moment to try and get food in for them. Sad situation. Songkran is the water festival. It's the end of the hot season going into the wet season. Say, originates from being a, a festival to celebrate the arrival of rain, which is why the splashing of water, celebrate the you know the growing of harvest. It was like we oh god we got through that dry season now we can you know get food. It's being cancelled. They cancelled it. They're going to postpone it to a later date. They've left it open. They've cancelled all. All holidays, zero tourists. I mean, I just left 137 last week. I had to let go of 42 people in one day, which was fairly, fairly awful. We then went through a process of furloughing everyone. About 50 of the major hotels are now closed. A lot of tourists were trapped because we've got so many tourists there and they can't get back, no flights. So that's a bit of a dilemma. There's still flights to London. There are still flights to Hong Kong, Singapore. Shanghai, China has started to open up. I, I see China leading the way out of this thing. Anne Yupati from um, the great metropolis of Bangkok, wonderful musician with uh, a depth of talent that uh, spreads across various genres of music, from chill to blues to a little bit of jazz singing uh, to a little bit of R&B. One more stop on today's Round the World trip to visit my friend Ina Bielsa, who works for the European Broadcasting Union and who, like me, is a huge fan of the world's biggest annual music competition, the Eurovision Song Contest. 
We would have been at the contest together in Holland this May, but our plans and the contests got thwarted by a small virus. So, as we'll be landing in Geneva, Switzerland in just a few seconds, please make sure your seat is in the upright position, your table is stowed, and your seatbelt is firmly fastened. Here's Ina with her postcard from the Swiss-French border. I live just across the border, uh, about, I don't know, a kilometer from the border into Geneva. Uh, so I live in France, where indeed we are on lockdown completely. We are discouraged from going outside at all. If we do go outside, uh, you have to have a bunch of information and documents with you. Among those is kind of a self-declaration that you are only going to go out to buy necessities of food, of, uh, you know, taking a stroll for your health. And even that, I think you can only be like 500 meters away from your home, something like that. Or you can go to the doctor. So when I go out, I have like a sheaf of papers with me. I have my passport. I have my Swiss transfrontalier, so like a, a border worker permit. I have to have my French driver's license. And on top of that, uh, this document with the self-declaration that I'm actually going to work and And I also have a letter from... Uh, the EBU that I am part of the International Press Corps, just like a big bunch of papers that you have to take out. So I've not been much out. I've been out three times in nearly three weeks now. And when I went to work, there were checks going into Switzerland, but all I had to show was my border crossing working permit. And, you know, the rest of my papers I didn't get to show, which was a bit disappointing. Uh, then returning home at 11.15 at night, The border was totally open. Going into France, there was no checks, no nothing. People don't overall seem to be anxious, I have to say. It's more concerned and it's more this uh, insecurity uh, of what will our world look like? You know, what is going to happen afterward? Will I have work? Will I be put on leave? People are thinking I've been home for three weeks or four weeks or whatever they've been home and are beginning to climb the walls, myself included. I am not really that worried. I'm not worried about getting sick. And I also do think that if I should get sick, I am one of those who will get through it. What is more concerning for me is that as I don't have a husband and children, I, I'm beginning now on the third week to feel lonely. And, you know, you start out the first week and you're like, okay, you get out of bed, you, you make the bed, you take a shower. And I was kind of making fun of myself the other day when I thought, when did showering become a household chore and not, you know, routine private grooming? <laughs> so I'm trying to keep some structure to my life. What we are kind of focusing on are the positive things that this type of isolation and scare brings to us. One of the things are that all of us really are much better at eating the leftovers instead of throwing them away. I've started cleaning my kitchen with a cloth rather than paper towels. And then, so, so there are positive things. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing how much paper towels I normally use, which I really don't need to. I've only been shopping twice in three weeks. And they had uh, very few customers. People were keeping their distance. There was a little bit empty in the pasta shelves. And fresh fruit and vegetables, maybe they're, Maybe the selection were not as grand as it used to be, but there was plenty. There was plenty. 
And uh, and that's what they keep telling us. There is food production. There will be replenishment. It's, so there was no, not a lack of anything. And yesterday there was in uh, Geneva Center. I know that there was this huge applause and, you know, clanging of pots and pans and whatever in support of the emergency services. Oh, this is so fantastic. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, the Matterhorn, which is in Zarmat, which is about three hours by train from where I live. The Matterhorn is, of course, also known as a Toblerone Mountain. It has been illuminated. First, it was with uh, the Swiss flag. And then a couple of days later, they illuminated it with the Italian flag because Matterhorn is exactly on the border in the mountains between Italy and Switzerland. And it was just gorgeous pictures to see and really, really iconic. I think that's going to be a lasting impression for us in Switzerland. And taking us from Geneva, Switzerland to the end of today's show is Swiss music producer and recording artist DJ Bobo with his new song, Love is All Around. Love is all around. Arms are full, my arms feel weak. My head is exploding every day of the weekend. Eat, can't sleep, cause your body's so sweet. Put your hand to my heart, can you feel the beat? You don't wanna bowl through with that sexual healing when I hold your hand, and I get this feeling you're the only one. Feel so proud, sweet, sweet girl, you love is all around. Today's round the world trip. Same boat was produced by Yocto Arts for KOPN Community Radio in the heart of the American Midwest, Columbia, Missouri. 
Spanking Rufus wrote the same boat theme music. And huge thanks also go to the fabulous Loose Loose for all the musical intros and interludes. You can hear all their music at looseloose.org and on Spotify. And thank you for listening. We will get through this. 